0: Hey everybody, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. It is great to be with you. If you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of Romans or click there? The book of Romans as we continue in our series entitled For the Love of God. God has given us his precious word so that we might love him and know him and enjoy him forever. And so we invite you. To turn to this book book of romans and we'll be in chapter one verses eight through fifteen while you're turning there i want to uh remind you that uh, next week we'll be gathering again and more than likely we'll be doing two services nine and eleven uh be on the lookout on the website and on your email if we seek to change that thanks for your flexibility but that's the plan as of right now uh both 9 and 11 at 9 o'clock we'll have ktc mask choir 11 o'clock will be mask optional and uh, that'll be the way we will probably roll, but we will keep you up to speed on that. Also, we have coming up June 6th that uh, we have been praying for, walking alongside uh, two brothers who have been put forward to the congregation as pastoral candidates, uh, Josh Gallagher and Ron Jure Locke. And so if you have any questions, concerns, words of encouragement, please come and talk to us as pastors but we'll be voting on them uh, June 6th so make sure that you are here for that and we look forward to uh, what God is going to do here at Church in Christ Church in the future so now I just want to uh, dive into the word Romans chapter 1 for those of you who are guests with us we just take the Bible allow it to dictate uh, where we go and what we say and so uh, dive in with us Romans chapter 1 I'm going to read the passage and then I'll pray For I long to see you say those words with me for, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to you to be unaware brothers and sisters that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation, or a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let me pray. Father, we ask, that you would meet us in this moment. You would give us more of yourself, that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. We ask that any barrier that's in our hearts right now to hearing and receiving your love for us, that God, you would remove those. You would turn down the volume On the trauma and drama of our hearts. And you would turn up the volume on the love of your son. Father, I ask that in this moment. With all the potential distractions that are out there. With all the potential sleepiness of body and soul. That you would awaken us spiritually. To the glories of Jesus. And that we truly would treasure Christ above all. Be with us now in these moments, we pray. For the glory of your name, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This is the intro to Paul's letter, and he has just finished verses 1 to 7, where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May his unearned favor be upon you all, and may his sense of peace, the rest of the soul, Be yours this morning And now we dive in We dive in With this whole idea of Longing to be with God's people Longing is at the heart of every good story Longing Characters long for someone Or long for some goal Or long for some life change That drives them through insurmountable odds You can see the the movie unfolding before you whether it's relationships, career, making a difference in the world. We are all driven by longing desire, but longing is also intensified when you've experienced something and lost it or you've tasted something and you know, you're about to get it, but then it is delayed. That sense of delayed gratification. We all remember pre COVID. And then we've experienced COVID and now there's a longing in the heart for whatever we want to call it things to be back to normal or back to some normal sense of life. We understand longing. Some of you have pain in your body. And there was a time when maybe you did not have pain and now you understand what it is to go through pain and the longing to be pain free. Some of you will experience while I'm preaching this sense of hunger and just longing to have your stomachs filled with food. Some of you kids out there are longing to play with your friends and you're just wondering when this preacher is going to stop so that you can go and play with your friends. You understand longing and desire. We get it. And we understand what it's like when you've been away from those that you love and you long to be with them. And yet you're told, Oh, the flight is delayed. Oh, it's going to be another couple of days, or there's another week, and there's a longing that intensifies because of its delay. This is where Paul is in verses 8 through 15. He has a longing. He's been with the people of God in multiple cities, and he longs to go to Rome. He longs to go be with the people. And I think the whole thing is summarized in verse 11. The very phrase I had you repeat when it says, for I long to see you. This word longing in the new Testament describes three experiences for the believers, three experiences. The first one is longing for heaven, longing to be with Jesus face to face forever. The second is longing for God's word in first Peter chapter two. The third is longing to be with the people of God. Just think about that. This idea of longing has been reserved in the New Testament for three things. Longing to be with Jesus face to face. Longing to have God's word so that you can be sustained and longing to be with God's people. Is being with God's people important? Yes. It is necessary it is crucial. And I'm afraid that we have minimized a significant place that the church has in a believer's life. The church is not optional and an add-on to the Christian life. It's God's plan to prepare us for heaven, to spread his glory throughout the world. There are no solo missions in God's plans. The church has to be a part of a thriving walk with Jesus. And so it makes sense then why the deepest longings in the heart, those things that Jesus really wants for us is not only face to face with him in heaven, not only for his word, but to be in the presence of God's people. And this is what Paul is saying. I just long to be with the people of God. And so why, why is Paul longing to be with the people? This passage will help us see three things. Paul longed to be with the church for the first reason for encouragement. The second reason, to reach unbelievers. And the third is to preach the gospel to believers. I want to be with the church in Rome for their encouragement to reach lost people and to preach the gospel to the church in Rome. This is where we're headed. Now let's set the stage. How in the world did this church get there? Acts chapter 2, what we see at Pentecost is that as these non-Jewish multiple language speaking people experienced the power of the Spirit of God they were proclaiming the mighty works of God in their own tongue and it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 10 that some of those people were visitors from Rome we also see that in Acts chapter 6 right before Stephen is about to be stoned he speaks about a group of people called the libertini that is slaves freed who were Jewish, and yet in captivity in Rome, and they had been set free. And so what happens is you have Roman citizens who have been converted, and now in Acts chapter 8, when the church is being persecuted, the Holy Spirit is inside of God's people, they were scattered. And many went back to hometowns, or went back to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Some went back to Rome. And it was there when they go back to Rome that they could not help, but speak of the Jesus that changed their lives and not through apostles, but through ordinary people like you and me, the church was birthed in Rome. Now, what is interesting is that the emperor at the time that the church was birthed was Claudius, right before Nero, which is the one who was emperor when the book of Romans was written. Claudius, in AD 41, saw all the controversy between the Jews and these now new Christians who were following Jesus. And he didn't like it, thought it was disrupting his community, so he sent him away. Eight years later, he has another edict because more Jews had stirred up and he sends the Jews away again. And this is probably why Paul in acts 18 collides with two people called Aquila and Priscilla. It was Aquila and Priscilla that are said in acts 18 verse two, that they had recently come from Italy because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so in God's providence, these individuals who were part of the birth of the church in Rome have now come. They've collided with Paul in the city of Corinth. And that probably has stirred his mind, these conversations about the early church in Rome. And now he has vented to go and to be with them. Because his main aim is that Rome would become not only a thriving church, but an outpost of love to Spain. And he wants to be there with them, but he can't. You must ask why. Why can't he go? Paul's already traveled a lot of places. Why can't he go? Well, we're told that while in Corinth, the spirit of God spoke to him and says, Paul, don't be afraid of all the persecution that's going on, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you because I've got many people in this city and Paul stayed in Corinth a year and a half proclaiming Jesus in Corinth. That's why more than likely he could not go to Rome was because God said, stay here and keep preaching Jesus because I've got many people in this city that need to come to faith, but he longed so much to go. This is why he longed to go to Rome, but couldn't. And so we look at the passage now and Paul, in this sense of longing says in verse eight, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. He had heard about their faith, and he says, God is my witness. I'm telling the truth. Check with God on this. The one that I serve in my spirit with my whole heart, the gospel of Jesus that changed my life, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayer. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you because I just long, I desire to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What does encouragement look like for Paul? It means prayer and presence. It means prayer and presence. And what we see is a prayer of thanksgiving for the church. And what we see is Paul's persistent prayer. Don't you think that would be a helpful word to describe his prayers? I always, every time I pray, there's a sense of persistently praying for the people of God. And dear friends, it has an effect on us. Church, we have a responsibility and a privilege to pray. one another and you want to know how love intensifies how longing grows it grows when we stop and we pray we pray for one another we pray for each other by name we get to know each other and ask how can I pray for you and we go to God right there in the moment we pray persistent prayer for the people of God intensifies our longings for the people of God. If you wonder why it's hard sometimes to love the church or it's a struggle to attend, or it's a struggle to do this or that, please take Paul's example and stop in persistent prayer for the people of God and watch what he does in your heart. Prayer is communion with God and he changes his people through prayer. But not only is encouragement come and change come as we pray, but the encouragement he longs to experience is through presence. He longs to just be there in the presence of the people of God. And he says this, I want to be there so that I can impart some spiritual gift to you. This does not mean that he wants to show up on the scene and kind of do some apostolic wave and say, Zoom. Have the gift of teaching. Wham! Have the gift of preaching. That's not what's happening here. And just so in case, like you're thinking, okay, maybe Paul showed up. I get the gift of hospitality. That's not what's happening here. When you say the Spirit of God comes in you, he gives you gifts. He clarifies what he means when he says, that is, verse 12, that we may mutually be encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. Literally, it means... The Spirit of God is alive at work in you, if you're a believer, alive at work in me, alive at work in us, and that by being together in person, something special happens. The Spirit of God rubs off on each other. You know what it's like if you haven't dusted in your house in a while? And then maybe you sit down in a spot and your elbow rubs up against it. And then all of a sudden you look at your shoulder and what's happening? You got some dust on your shoulder or you're painting in a house and you didn't let it dry long enough and you rub up against the wall. And all of a sudden the paint is on you. These things have rubbed off on you, but rubbing off is not just physical. It's also relational. You think about that in mother's day, that for some of you, Your mom has rubbed off on you in some really profound and wonderful ways. Endurance, enthusiasm, encouragement, prayers, not just that you have had clothes provided for you or you've had a good meal or you've had some good counsel, but we're talking about a life lived in front of you rubbed off on you. There's not one mom on the planet that is perfect. And I know many of you moms will be like, oh, but also my bad probably rubs off too. And so all of a sudden you're ready to run down the train of self-condemnation. Dear friend, stop the train and focus on the small gifts that we give to our kids that you don't even know about by just being faithful in the everyday. Admitting when you've made mistakes, praying, encouraging, walking alongside, Laughing, crying, dear friends, many of you moms you've rubbed off on your kids in so many precious ways. And that is a gift of God, but that happens in the church. It happens in the church. Holy spirit rub off. And this is why we must come together be mutually encouraged we don't only come together just so that we can hear a priest's word and hear other voices sing we come together because Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25 right before he says don't neglect gathering and meeting together as is the habit of some he also says right before that let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works they're connected how do we consider to stir one another up it's by meeting together And getting to know one another's troubles and struggles. And so coming to church on Sundays, coming to our small groups, is not just about you and I receiving a good word for the day or hearing that God loves us. It's about you giving away that love to other people. Here's an example. Look at verse 10. Paul just makes this passing comment. Because the main point of the passage is he longs to be with him. But what's he saying here? Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you because I long to see you. And you might just read past that if you're going quickly and say, yeah, Paul really wanted to be with him. But he makes this passing comment about God's will. What is he doing there? Paul clearly had a desire. He had a will To go to Rome. And God clearly had a desire and a will to do something different than what Paul wanted or desired to do. They were in competition. And what can stir us up just in this passing comment, and probably what stirred up the people of Rome, is that there will be times in your heart when you want to do something, and yet God has a different plan. Who wins out when when desires are competing? God always wins out. Paul is saying this in this passing comment. No matter how much I long to be with you in your presence, God always wins. His plan is always best. I always want to do what he wants me to do. And so... Although this is not necessarily the main point of the passage, this is how encouragement works. Two believers show up at church on Sunday morning. Two believers show up at a community group gathering, and they're just talking about life, or they're talking about sports, or they're talking about music, or they're talking about their week. And somebody's faith comes out in conversation, and it stirs up love and faithfulness in the hearer. There's a sharer. There's a hearer. And whether the sharer knows it or not, sometimes it really affects the other person. For example, you might say, just in casual conversation, man, I had to stop in the middle of my day this week because I was working through my day and I had not even thought about God. And he convicted me of that and I stopped and I just stopped to pray. And maybe you as a hearer, you thought, I never even thought about stopping in the middle of my day to pray to God. That just didn't even come to my mind And yet they said it And now all of a sudden God does it And he roots it in the heart And then you think about it You're stirred up By somebody else's faith Mutually encouraged The is blown away Sometimes A sharer might say I was anxious about money And I don't know why But God has always provided But I doubted him I doubted him And the hearer thinks God does always provide. Might not be in the right time that I think, but it's always in his time and it's always good. He always provides. Their faith was shared and it strengthened my faith as a hearer. Share might say, I lost a friend or a husband or a parent. And this week, for some reason, that loss really came back to hurt me. But God provided for me And his presence was just more powerful this week. Or there was a scripture verse that just strengthened me. And the hearer hears that. And sometimes it happens this way. It means very little to you in the moment other than just, wow, I'm I'm glad God met them. But then maybe days, months, weeks, years later, you experience a loss. And the Spirit of God takes that moment, slams it back in your heart and your mind, and encourages you that God does meet his people in the midst of fear or struggle over loss. This is what Paul is saying. I long to be with you because when I'm with you, we encourage each other mutually, whether we know it or not, something is happening. And so dear friend, Paul is saying, I want to be with the church in Rome because it encourages us. Not only does he want to be with them for encouragement, but he wants to be with them To reach unbelievers. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says this. I do not want you to be unaware. Brothers and sisters. That I have often intended to come to you. There it is again. The sense of longing. But thus far have been prevented. And we know that is prevented by God. In order that I may. Reap some harvest. Among you. Say that with me. Reap some harvest. Among you. As well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And then he says. I'm under obligation, or literally, I am a debtor to Greeks and to barbarians, or to Greeks and non Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. What is his point? Paul longed to be with the Roman church that he might see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. There was a confidence that Paul had in the good news a confidence that Paul had in the gospel, which we'll hear about next week because he believes the gospel is power. The gospel is power to change. And so Paul says, I want to come to you so that I might reap some harvest. What's he talking about? God has some fruit that has been growing. It's grown on the tree. Some crops have already grown. And now Paul wants to show up so that he can go and he can pull that fruit. He can preach the gospel and people can be saved. This is not about believers bearing fruit. This is about unbelievers coming to face faith in Jesus Christ, the reaping of fruit. Now, Paul, he wants to come to them for a couple of reasons. One, because Paul is an apostle. Paul is an apostle. He's called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, and because of that, Paul says in verse 14, he is under obligation. The word means he was a debtor. Calling him a debtor to lost people. What does that mean? A debtor to lost people. Well, John Scott Helven here, a commentator on the book of Romans, one of many. He says, there's two ways to be in debt. The first is if I borrow money from you, if I borrow a thousand dollars from you, then I am in debt to you until I pay you that thousand dollars. Now, there's a second way to be in debt. If Pastor Travis is in debt to you, and he owes you the thousand dollars, but he gives the thousand dollars to me to pay to you, until I put that money in your hand, I'm actually in debt to you as well. This is exactly what's happening here. Jesus has entrusted the gospel to Paul to take to the Gentile world, to take to the lost world of non-Jews. And until Paul delivers that, he is in debt to them because he has been entrusted to With the gospel. It is Jesus who made Paul a debtor by committing the gospel to his trust. And Paul says, I am indebted to Greeks and to non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. I think this is just a way of describing I am indebted to the whole non-Jewish world because I have been made the apostle to the Gentiles. Whether it's the intellectually elite, whether they Are low educated, whether they are Greek speaking or whether they're part of just the the widespread Gentile world, I am called to them. So it's different nationalities and cultures and languages, different levels of education. Paul is saying I'm indebted to preach the gospel there. But is it just for Paul? Is he the only one in debt? Paul tells us All believers reconciled to God are meant to be about the ministry of reconciliation. We too are debtors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, God entrusting to us, you hear that language, entrusting to us, giving us the gift that we must give to somebody else, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to the lost world through us. We are in debt. We are debtors to a lost world. A gospel changed life is a gospel sharing life. It's not optional. We are in debt to a lost and dying world. Because we have been shown the beauty of Jesus. We have been shown the grace of Jesus. We've been shown peace and rest and hope and joy and the promise of eternal life. And we must give that gift to others. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, There's a necessity laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is why Peter and John said in Acts 4, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is the mantra of believers. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So friends, we too, we are debtors. Debtors to our neighbors under obligation to make Jesus known to those who are around us. We are debtors, debtors to our family who does not know Jesus. And we are debtors to be a part of God's missionary journey to reach the unreached with the gospel. We are a part of that plan. We are not called to save the world. That's Jesus's job, but we are called to do our part in our sphere. We are called to be on mission with co workers. Those who are around us. Paul wanted the church to join him as ambassadors for Christ. So he longed to be among them so that he could speak the gospel and show them what it looked like for people to come to faith in Jesus. So that then that church would be the healthy picture of sharing Christ. And here's what's remarkable. We're talking about by the end of Romans, there are three house churches that combine this Church at Rome, more than likely. So let's just say an average, maybe 20 to 30 people in a house, you're talking to church under a hundred more than likely, and he is going to them, not only to speak the gospel so the people come to faith, but he is ready for them to be an outpost, a missionary outpost to Spain, where he hopes the gospel will go. A church under a hundred has a missionary outpost where the gospel is not being proclaimed to unreached peoples. This is what we are meant to be about gospel spreaders here and a part of God's greater mission and outpost of love to the unreached peoples. We have a maxim. This is a phrase that we try to say regularly um, as leaders and with our staff and our elders, and it's God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. So many people put themselves in a category of ordinary, unusable, not as special as somebody else and yet, what we see is the church was birthed through ordinary people like you and me, speaking the gospel to more ordinary people and watching God give life where there is a dead Every member in this church is a disciple, and every disciple is a disciple maker. May we be a part together of making disciples. Now, what's so interesting and beautiful is that the preaching the gospel for Paul was not just for unbelievers. He wanted so badly to be with them and look at verse 15 because he is eager to preach the gospel to who? What's it say? To you. Who's the you? It's the church in Rome. It's Christians. He was eager to not only preach the gospel to lost people, but he was eager to preach the gospel to Christians. Now, why? Because sometimes we treat the gospel as something that gets you in the door. It's a good news. Jesus died in your place. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. One day he's coming back to gather all those who have trusted in him, repented of sin and trusted in Christ. And he will gather them to himself for eternal life and a new heavens and a new earth. That's good news. And it's glorious. But it's not just like a book you read and then put on the shelf and you're done with it. Is saying I'm eager to be in and among you Because you need the gospel Preached to you over And over and over and over The gospel is not just power to convert But it is power to make Us continually More and more like Jesus To not know Hear this To not know How or to put the Gospel aside once we are in Christ is to reject And shelve The very power God has given us to experience joy and peace and love that only comes from gospel change. And some of us are exhausted because we're trying to live the Christian life without knowing and applying the gospel. Have you ever watched a TV show and it's these muscle people, muscle men and women, but most of the time it's these muscle men that look like, you know, they've been somehow inflated with some super strength. Uh, bicycle pump, you know, it's just like they're massive and swole. And so what you see is like they, sometimes they have these events where they have to like pull a semi with their teeth or something like that. You know, it's just kind of crazy what's going on. And so let's just say there's this goal. The goal is you got to get this 18 wheeler up the hill to get what the materials you need in your house. Okay, you got two options. One is you're going to, put the mouthpiece in and you're going to pull with all your might to get the semi up the hill to your house. Or two, I might recommend option two is that you actually get into the truck. You turn the keys, you hit the gas and you go right up the hill. I promise you, you'll not only get there faster, but the sweat will be much less. Okay. This is what Paul is comparing our lives in the gospel and not in the gospel. So many of us are living our lives, trying to pull our lives along by our teeth in our own self salvation project, our own attempt to try to do better, work harder, be stronger. And we wonder why we're so exhausted. And yet he says, I'm eager to get in your presence so that I can stare at you in your pain and preach the gospel to you. You know who these people in Rome are? They're people like you and me. They're worried about their kids. They're worried about their financial situation. They had anxiety over physical safety and sickness. They had marriage struggles. They got angry when their lives felt out of control. They battled all kinds of lust. Some craved the approval of others. Others were tempted to be cynics or divisive or slanderers or backbiters. And some wrestled with bitterness. And we know that because of all of the warnings and commands in the scriptures. They battled with what we battle with. And Paul says the remedy is the good news of Jesus Christ. The remedy is Christ. Before counseling and medicine, which are graces from God, don't get me wrong, but before those, there is the foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ. We cannot shelve. God's primary foundational way of change. And you might be like, I don't understand. Why this solution? Why is this the primary plan? Well, let me tell you, poor behavior proceeds from poor beliefs. Poor behavior proceeds from poor beliefs. Jesus is very clear. What defiles a person is not what's outside of them, but what is inside of them. And the remedy for the human heart is Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, and always fighting, always with his people. I can be an anxious person. And I have in the past battled with depression and it can come out of nowhere. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You feel like you're on the top of the world and the next morning you wake up and it's like, why does it feel like there are clouds everywhere? I know it's sunny, but there are clouds. The anxiety can roll over you, burdens, fears. Being more aware of what's broken inside of you, focusing in what's broken around you, and those thoughts they get very loud, and it's really hard to turn down the volume. Many times, my wisdom is okay. I'm just going to get louder. I'm going to get louder by working harder, being stronger. I'm just, stop this, stop this anxiety. But that all it does is it drowns out God's voice. Anxious people can be controlling people sometimes, wanting things to go their way because they don't want their greatest fears to be realized. But underneath all that pain and confusion and sometimes despair or fear of oh, their beliefs under there, their beliefs under there. What do I believe is my role in battling my fear? Sometimes I believe I got to fix this problem stop being anxious and some who counsel okay I'm battling with anxiety some who counsel without the gospel use phrases like oh that thing you're afraid of it's not that bad or you know you don't have to be so fatalistic it won't turn out that bad but you and I know it can not only turn out that bad it could turn out worse so that's not a comfort oh it's not that bad but it could be right? So the answer's not like, okay, it's not that bad. Or sometimes counsel without the gospel is, you can handle this, you can do this. Or you just don't have to be so anxious or negative. <laughs> Basically the stop it mentality, stop it. I, I hate to tell you that doesn't always work. Just try that. Stop being anxious, just doesn't happen. So what do we do? The problem with this council is that it can be as bad as you are fearing, and if it all depends on you, you know you cannot sustain the control of the universe like you want to. You cannot bring about safety and control for others that you love. How does the gospel apply? The gospel applies by owning, it. I am anxious. I can't fix it. It comes by owning it. And then it comes by examining it. Why? Why am I anxious? It could be because of kids, or because of work, or because of church, or unmet goals, or a known weakness in me, or a dangerous world, or a broken family, or fractured relationships, people believing false things about you, physical pain, emotional turmoil. The list is long. Did I make you anxious yet? I hope not. But we must ask, what are we believing or craving? And dear friends, sometimes when I'm anxious, I am believing that I must fix this. I must be strong. I can't control this. And if that were the case, then why am I anxious? I can't control these things. So what am I believing about God? If believing about myself is I have to fix it and I can't, What am I believing about God? Deep down, I would never want to say this out loud, right? But deep down, I'm believing that God is somehow not going to be good to me. That God is absent. That somehow the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead somehow faded away from me. That's not the gospel. But I'm tempted to believe, oh wait, if I'm not perfect, if I'm not good, if I've done something wrong, then his gospel power will not be for me. What am I tempted to believe? I'm tempted to believe that sometimes God is cold hearted and he doesn't care. I know none of us would want to say it, but that's what we believe. And at this point, the gospel tells us the only way to find peace is to confess not only our sin, but to confess our faith in who Jesus says he is. We preach the gospel to ourselves. And the first way that looks is I stop and I say, God, forgive me. Help me in my unbelief. I've been thinking things about you that I should not think. I confess my sin that I've tried to control this and I can't fix it. I declare what has been true all along. Without you, I can do nothing. But not only do I confess and I pray, but I confess my faith. The gospel tells me something different about God and who he is, what he has done for me. The gospel tells me that God is love, and he is not indifferent or cold or absent. How do I know that? Because the gospel tells me he died for me. The gospel tells me he demonstrated definitively that he loves you today. Stop all the excuses. There's no asterisk. There's no but That is, he loves you today by faith in Christ. Not by your perfection, not by your performance and that love means he will never give up. He will never leave you He is not out of control. He is always working for your good Romans 8 28 Faith looks to the end of the trial because you know that God will bring an end That is for your good and for his glory the gospel tells us this and as we rehearse some of these truths All of a sudden we see, we see how Jesus comes to us. And this is not something that we can just do once. This is a battle. This is a wrestle, but I'm encouraging you just as Paul wanted to be with the church, that we must become fluent as the book gospel fluency by Jeff Vanderstel. We must become fluent in the gospel, fluent in how to speak the good news of Jesus. The lusts and the lies and the anxiety and the depression and the fears that grip our hearts. I know, friends, I know there's a wall sometimes. It feels like it's there between us and Christ. Tell Him about that. Take all of these pains to the Lord. Bring your losses. him share that this loss hurt on Mother's Day Mother's Day is a great day but some for some of you it can be a day signified by loss whether it be a miscarriage whether it be a desire to have children and you can't whether it be the loss of a mother or a loss of the mom you wish you had but you didn't have this day can be signified by loss the gospel tells us that God is not afraid of your tears And how does change happen? It comes by owning the fact that you are feeling what you're feeling and you weep and take those losses to the Lord. And then you press into his love and trust that he specializes in doing restoration work and resurrection to the heart. But don't just stuff the losses, take them to the Lord. The gospel tells us he wants them. He wants all of your tears. He wants all of your pain and sometimes we are going on and on and on in our pain because we have never said this is a loss and this hurt me we've never articulated it to god paul was eager to be among the church because he knew that our presence with each other would encourage each other paul was eager to be in and among the church because he was obligated to be a gospel preacher and he knew that the church was as well to those who were lost, and he was eager to be in and among the church because he knew the power of the gospel, not just to lost people, but to our own souls as a church. May we be gospel proclaimers, and may we long to be with one another. Father, please, take the good news of Jesus and bury it deep in our hearts. Take the good news of Jesus and you are always for us. Your power over everything that we face. The fact that even if our worst fears do come about, you will turn them for good and therefore we need not fear. You are not going to stop doing good to us. You will always be with us. You have always been and you will always continue to be or whether it's when we see you face to face, there will be deliverance. Father, may there be hope that rises up in our hearts. I think of Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you and me with all joy and peace in believing, believing the gospel, so that the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. God, give hope to your people. Give joy to your people. We love you, and we just ask that you would not only Convince us of your love for us, that you would empower us to speak the good news to people you And God, we ask that you would sing. and we ask that you would bring us together as a people to encourage one another. We would be convinced of our need for each other, be convinced of our need for the church. Be with us now. Help this song to be our prayer. We love you.